You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Bill Hybels tells a story about a friend of his who started a business. At the very beginning, he took out a sizable loan to kick the business off, and he got the loan from the bank. Then he works his tail off for 20 years. He works to get debt-free, and some of you know how challenging that can be. He goes to pay off the loan at the end of the 20-year note, and he finds out that his accountant has been cooking the books all along. When it went to court, he learned that he still owed as much debt 20 years later as he did on the very first day that he started his company. Heibel said he was homicidally mad, homicidally angry, excuse me, and inconsolable. Was there ever a time in your life when you were that angry? where you were so mad, you would, could be described as homicidally angry and inconsolable. <clears throat> the truth is, show me an angry person and I'll show you a hurt person. Let me explain. I guarantee you that that person who's that mad is hurt because something happened And the result is something has been taken from them. Just like Bill's friend lost 20 years of his life and still owed the entire debt. Something significant was taken from him. When that happens, somebody owes you something. And we verbalize it this way. (coughs) Excuse me. You took my reputation. You stole my innocence. You robbed me of my purity. You owe me a raise. You took the best years of my life. You stole my childhood. You owe me a second chance. The root of anger is found in the perception that something has been taken from you. Something is owed you. It's easy to believe that the only remedy for our anger is payback. Isn't that how a debt is settled? People should pay what they owe. To cancel a debt is to let the guilty person off the hook. There's some irony in thinking that which is, in many cases, the debt can never be paid. There's great irony in that. How does a man say to his 24-year-old son, I want to pay you back for the last 12 years of your life that I haven't been there. He can't do it. This is tragic because people spend much of their lives waiting for debts to be paid that cannot be paid. The opportunity To make those things right is long gone. Anger refuses to remain isolated or appropriately focused on the person who hurt you. If anger is lodged in my heart, 
then before long, I will come to believe that everyone owes me. This is why we characterize certain people simply as angry people. It seems as though they're angry all the time with just about anybody and everybody. It's their persona, their demeanor. Their wrath is no longer focused on the person who offended them. And the closer you get to them, the more likely it is that you're going to get dumped on too. And you may wonder why. What did I ever do to deserve that? The answer is simple. You didn't let them have their way. That's all that it takes. Nothing you do pleases people like that. Now before we jump into this topic, it's important to identify which side of this equation you are on. If you aren't sure if you have anger lodged in your heart, Just ask the people closest to you if they think you have anger issues. And be sure to tell them you won't get angry if they answer it honestly. Then what I want you to do is listen on two levels. Listen first to what they're saying. And then more importantly, listen to what you're feeling. Chances are their words will stir your heart. It's when our hearts are stirred that we become most aware of what's in our hearts. If they pause before they answer, chances are they may be a little afraid to tell you the truth. If while they're making their case, you feel compelled to interrupt and defend yourself then that'll tell you something as well. And if you find yourself wanting to run away, pay attention to that. If you find yourself getting angry with your friend for answering a question that you asked him to answer, then I think it's safe to assess that you've got some anger lodged in your heart. But don't be discouraged Like other monsters that live within our hearts, anger gains strength from secrecy. Exposing it is painful and powerful at the same time. If you're one who suffers from anger, then I bet you have a story to tell, but you may never have shared it with anyone. But I bet you have a compelling story. A story that leaves no room for any doubt as to the legitimacy of your anger. If you've never told your story, I wonder why not? Why not tell people why you're angry? I mean, people experience your anger all the time. And yet you've never explained where that fire comes from. The reason many of us don't reveal our stories is because to tell it would mean you'd have to bring it out into the light. Bringing it out into the open causes it to lose its potency, which means you lose the reason to stay angry. Do you realize 
that bringing your story into the light may actually deal your anger a fatal blow. One other possibility that you've kept your story secret is because deep down you know it's a little silly what you've been mad about all this time. Maybe years ago something small, maybe even ridiculous happened, but it really stung you and as a result it invaded your heart. You're smart enough to know that whatever it was doesn't justify your temperamental behavior. But now it's too embarrassing. So it's easier just to keep it locked away where it just continues to grow. Or you may be the kind of person who's like me. You tell your story every chance you get. That's the way I was a number of years ago. You want to be understood. You enjoy the sympathy. And if the truth were actually known... You believe your story justifies your behavior. Ever felt that way? Hey, after all, anybody who was raised the way you were, faced the hardships you faced, or lived with the rejection and neglect or abandonment that you experienced, that justifies the way you are and the way you act. But even with every right to be this way, do you really want to remain angry the rest of your life? Here's the question that every angry person needs to consider. How long are you going to allow people you don't even like, people who are no longer in your life, maybe people who aren't even alive anymore, to control your life? How long? It's actually kind of ridiculous to continue to allow them, the people who hurt you, that person who hurt you, that group, to give them that much influence today, years later, to have that much influence in your life. I met a guy several years ago who had a serious problem with anger If you were around him for any time at all, you would eventually see him explode and it may even be because of you. Being a minister, I didn't see this behavior for quite a while. But then one day, I was in the full front of it. I was the focus of it. It was a real problem, though, for a long time, even though I didn't know about it. It was a real problem for those who were close to him. He had a series of failed relationships, job changes, many of which were due to his temper. Years later, he privately shared with me that he had been sexually abused as a child. It was easy for me at that moment to see how this was likely the source of his anger. He had suffered a tremendous loss, as you can imagine due to this abuse. And it created this debt that still hadn't been repaid and truthfully, probably never would be. I don't want to make light of this or minimize it in any way, shape, or form because what he went through was a terrible tragedy. 
And this isn't a simple fix. But reality says freedom will start only when we realize that we can't continue to allow the person who hurt us to keep sabotaging our life. While it's true you can't undo what's been done, it's equally true that you don't have to let the past control your future. The appropriate way to use your story is not as an excuse, but as a testimony to God's ability to free you from the past. When you allow him access to the anger in your heart, something amazing can happen. Your your story no longer will explain your behavior, but instead it will stand in stark contrast to it. As we've recognized The angry person approaches life and relationships looking to get paid back. Anger says, you owe me. And it's often indiscriminate as to who it expects to pay that debt. As we discussed last week, there are two ways to deal with the debt that's owed you. One is for someone to pay it off. And the second is, to forgive it. With that in mind, it may come as no surprise to some to discover the key point of this message is simply the remedy for anger is forgiveness. Some of you already know that forgiveness isn't as easy as it sounds. Perhaps you've tried forgiving, but nothing really changed Even though Jesus has given us this ultimate example of love and forgiveness, the question of what to do with our anger continues to be an issue for many of us to deal with. The Apostle Paul addresses this in Ephesians 4.31. Look what he says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slandering, along with every form of malice. Paul commands us to get rid of our anger, get rid of it. But that doesn't make sense. How do you get rid of an emotion? The Greek is clear. The word translated get rid of means to remove or to separate yourself from. And here's the idea that get rid of carries. It's a picture. Well, it's kind of like this. Hey, man! Ah, shoot! I got spiders, man! Hey, I'll do the spiders! No! <laughs> you ever walk into a spider web? Some of you, that's the worst thing that can happen to you right there. Just so you know, he doesn't swear. We listened to it several times. It was kind of touch and go there for a while. What, he, what that guy verbal or visualizes for us is the picture that Paul is pointing to us here when he says, get rid of it. Get it off of you. Get it off of you as quickly as possible. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. If you go back to Ephesians 4.31, circle the word all that's in there. You may not even notice that little word that's in the passage. Paul lists every relational wedge that he can think of. Bitterness, 
rage, anger, brawling, slander. And just in case he forgot one, he throws the word malice in there, which is kind of a general ill will toward another person. It's kind of the catch-all word for all relational problems. And Paul's saying, whatever negative emotion you're harboring, regardless who it's focused against, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Now, before we write Paul off as some out-of-touch, pious religious leader who has no idea what it's like to live life in the real world, Consider that he wrote this letter from a Roman prison cell. He was arrested unjustly and then extradited to Rome where he had been waiting for trial for more than a year when he wrote these words. And on top of that, to make matters worse, political climate in Rome was not favorable towards Christians. It's likely Paul's not going to get much of a fair trial. And yet Paul instructs believers to rid ourselves of our anger. Is this even possible? After all, your anger is simply a response to the people and events around you, right? So the bottom line is we're just victims of our circumstances. Hurt, rejection, criticism... All of these things leave us feeling like victims. No wonder we find ourselves angry. Because victims are powerless. They have no control over their lives. Victims are at the mercy of others. Victims can only react. They're held prisoner by circumstances beyond their control. It's these feelings of victimization that fuel our justifications for our anger. A victim will always have an excuse and can write off almost any kind of behavior. Eventually, we, become, we come to the point where we believe this simple lie. It's okay to behave the way you behave because you have no choice This behavior is perfectly acceptable because of what happened to you. And many people live that way. In the end, though, that belief, that lifestyle, has no incentive to change. After all, it's always easier to stay the same and make excuses Victims don't want to be proactive about changing. They want to be proactive about making sure the person who hurt them pays. And so we spend our energy telling our stories rather than taking responsibility for our own behaviors. Please hear me. I'm not minimizing in any way, shape, or form what happened to you. I don't want to lessen or degrade the pain that you experienced or anything that anyone in this room may have gone through at the hands of another person or a group of people. But what I am saying is, don't stay there. Don't give that offense or those people 
any more authority to control your life from this day forward. Let's see what Paul knows that maybe we need to learn. Look what he says in verse 32. I'll start with 31 again. He says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul suggests that we extend kindness and compassion to those who've wronged us. Think about that for just a moment. That's maybe the last on my list of things I want to extend to them. You should draw a box or highlight the word forgiving in the text. I'm no Greek scholar, but I'm told that the sentence structure here implies that forgiveness means by which forgiveness, excuse me, is the means by which we do away with our bitterness, our rage, our anger, our brawling, our slander, and every form of malice. Forgiveness is what enables us to be kind and compassionate to people who have wounded us. Paul doesn't stop there. He frames the concept of forgiveness in a way that should cause all of us to pause and reconsider this ancient concept. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgive them the same way that God forgave you. We're to extend an attitude of forgiveness that mirrors the kind God extended toward you in Christ. As a disciple of Jesus, Peter understood his responsibility to forgive others. But he wasn't actually sure how far to take it. This is, what do you do with that person who hurts you over and over and over again? Well, in Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter asks Jesus. He says, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Up to seven times. Peter throws out a number there. It's kind of arbitrary to us in this culture. From his perspective, he's thinking that sounds pretty generous. The reason for that was Jewish rabbis taught that you were to forgive someone three times. If they offended you, you should forgive them three times. But on the fourth offense, you don't have to forgive them. That was the rule that the Jewish rabbis taught. But Jesus... Peter wanted to know from Jesus, when is enough actually enough? Is that true? Or is there something else? I mean, when is it all right not to forgive? Peter wanted to do the right thing, but come on, we all have our limits, right? Like Peter, we're the same way. Peter thought that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. And what Peter was willing to 
to do was to go as far as seven rounds forgiving the same person on the same issue. That's pretty benevolent. After all, the standard was three. But after seven, I'm done with them. Jesus responded in Matthew 18.22 and he said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some of your translations may say 70 times seven, which is even a bigger number. In either case, he answers Peter's question, and then before Peter can even counter his comment, Jesus jumps into this captivating parable. Let me read it to you. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Simply put, forgiveness is the decision to cancel a debt. Whenever someone hurts you, there is a sense in which they have taken something from you. A debt is incurred. That's why we say things like, I'm going to get even with him. In order to achieve justice, a transaction has to take place that transfers something from the offender to the victim. It could be an apology or a favor. It could be money or some other form of restitution. But the tension will remain until the debt is settled. In this parable, when the master went to settle the debt with his servant, the servant begged for mercy. And then he did something totally absurd. Did you catch it? He promised to pay back his debt. Some translations say 10,000 bags of gold. Others have a measurement of currency there, 10,000 talents. In either case, it's an enormous amount. In fact, some have estimated that it's somewhere around $7 billion in today's economy. It's laughable that that servant thinks he can pay that back at this station of his life. It's impossible. He can't pay it back. But fortunately for him, his master was merciful, and he took pity on him, and he canceled the debt. That's the essence of forgiveness, a conscious decision to cancel the debt. Well, the parable continues, verses 28 and 29, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay you. I will pay it back. The servant has a buddy who owes him a hundred silver coins, a small amount. 
actually probably could be paid back if he had enough time. But instead, verse 30 says, he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And then we read in verse 31 and following, when the other servants saw what had happened, because people are always watching, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. This guy lost his testimony. When the master recalled the servant when the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. There it is. Jesus puts it in black and white. The definition for forgiveness. I canceled all that debt for you. He goes on in verse 32. Let's finish the parable. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The servant who had his debts forgiven represents every single person who has had their sin debt canceled by God. And you wouldn't know it, but the other servant is anybody who we're holding something against because of something they've done to us. So the point of this parable is cancel their debt. Forgive them. The question I want to leave you with as I close this message is who comes to mind when you think of a person who you need to forgive? Who's that person whose picture pops in your brain who hurt you? Who owes you? They have a debt on the ledger of your heart. Why not forgive them today? Why not ask God for strength to cancel that debt so that you could break free from the control that they've had in your life? For some of you, that control has been far too long. I appreciate your grace toward me today with this voice. But if you hear only one thing, hear this. Your pain is not a trophy to show off. It's not a story to tell, though it may help others and it may be a great testimony. If not used properly, it can be a poison to your soul. So decide today that you will refuse to forgive. To refuse to forgive is to choose to self-destruct. Don't do that. Start today, brand new. Forgive them, and let's start running the race free from the anger that lodges in our hearts. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful for your 
forgiveness to us. Totally unworthy. And yet, because of your love, you sent Jesus to the cross to pay the price for us. To wash away our sins. To make us clean, spotless. Lord, we're grateful for that. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling today with anger. Maybe this topic caught them off guard. They didn't enter in here thinking they were an angry person, but they realized through the course of the last several minutes that they've been carrying some revenge in their hearts against someone or some group of people. Lord, we know that if we don't do something to eradicate this monster, we'll just continue to hurt people around us. Many of those people are people who we love. Lord, help us to slay this monster by forgiving those who hurt us. In the process, we're not saying that what you did was okay, or we're not letting them off the hook. We're just saying that we're not going to give you this the control of our lives anymore. Lord, for the pain that's real, whether it happened 50 years ago or happened yesterday, I pray that you would comfort and bring healing. And God, may you give courage and strength to be able to forgive today so that they might be free and not suffer the consequences of a life lived with anger in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know this can be a hard topic when you talk about forgiving people who've hurt you. Some of those things are petty, as we talked about earlier. Some of them are serious. In either case don't have a line that says, no, that's too important. I'm not forgiving them because they're only hurting you. You're not letting them off the hook. But if you've got anger, you want somebody to pray with you, I'd be happy to do that. If you put up with this voice for a little bit longer, I'd be honored to do that. We're going to stand and worship the Lord now. If you have a decision or a need, will you come? I'll be down front.